Good morning and welcome to our new series called But God. It's a series about your faith and uh, we took it from these two words which you see again and again about 60 times throughout scripture where it says but God. I'm going to give you a couple of examples so that you understand it but our prayer and our hope is that as you hear these stories about but God, I was in this situation but God, when you hear these stories they'll start to become your own stories but listen to these scriptures. It says in Genesis, but God remembered Noah and he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded and Noah got out of the ark. It says about Joseph, it says Joseph could say that his brothers intended to harm him. They threw him into a pit and then sold him to slave traders, but God intended it for good to save many lives. When it came to David, the Bible says day after day Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. When it came to Jehoshaphat, God says to him, don't be afraid, Jehoshaphat, or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. I want there to be so many but God stories, especially whilst we're in Corona and we're facing the COVID-19 threat and we're in lockdown and, and people are afraid. I'm praying that throughout our congregation, people watching online all over the world, will begin to tell us but God stories, that our emails will get full and Facebook will be full up of but God stories and miracles that happen in your lives as we go through the, this series. But today what I'm going to do is I'm going to drive in a principle that opens up us up to but God stories. And uh, I'm going to read from Matthew 17, Matthew 21, and then I'm going to get into Genesis 1 if, you, if you're looking at the scriptures. But you ever felt like you're really stuck? Really stuck, I guess, in lockdown. Uh, I bumped into a friend at the supermarket and from about six meters away, we had a conversation about how he had run around his yard which is about 20 meters by about 15 meters. And he said he'd run 5.2 kilometers. And then my wife told me there was nothing. She saw a video of someone who'd run a half marathon on a balcony. That is, that is stuck and bored and I need to do something. That's what's going on there. And then I don't know if you saw uh, the video that was sent out about the guy who didn't have a treadmill. And so he used sunlight on his tiles and then he ran along, along his tiles, used them as a, as a treadmill. But uh, people have been doing all kinds of stuff because they're stuck. I don't know how you're feeling about the economy around you, if you're feeling stuck, or if health is knocking at your door and you're feeling stuck, or if you're feeling stuck in relationship. But there was a moment in the scriptures when the disciples were stuck. They'd been trying to cast out a demon all day, and uh, they weren't winning. And it says in Matthew 17, 19, Jesus comes back and uh, he, he sees this, this father who, who comes to him and says, your disciples couldn't cast out the demon. And, and Jesus casts out the demon instantly, rebukes the disciples. And it says then in verse 19, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, this isn't the only time Jesus uses this mountain story. 
In fact, there's, there's another story where he's coming back from Bethany and it says this, in the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, there's some context to this that I want to give you because it really makes this story come alive. Jesus walking back from Bethany to Jerusalem. Now, lots of people, when they interpret the scripture, they believe that the mountain that he's talking about is the Mount of Olives, that it's some prophetic picture. But the truth is the Mount of Olives wasn't a single mountain. The Mount of Olives was a series of mountains. In fact, it's, it's a range that grows into another range. It blends into another range. It would be very difficult to call a mountain the Mount of Olives. But there's another mountain. It's, it's directly between Bethany, where he's coming from, and Jerusalem. And it's Mount Herodium. This is a, a profound mountain. Here's why. Legend has it that Herod was fleeing from the Parthians, heading south from Jerusalem. And his mother's chariot got knocked over. And Herod fought for his life, managed to save his mother, and they managed to escape. And the place where he saved her he decided he needed to celebrate that place, and so he bought, built a palace there. But the way he built the palace was fascinating. Herod, if you don't know much about Herod the Great, he was an utter genius. He was as cruel as the day is long, but he was a genius. And uh, he was renowned for his architecture and building. And so what Herod did is he, there were two hills next to each other, and he got a huge force of labor, and they basically chopped off half of one hill and they put it into a circle around another hill or on top of another hill and then they built a palace within that circle in the desert. Now here's what was incredible about this. Not only did he build a palace in the desert using half a hill, he put an aqueduct into there, he put a pool, a massive pool into there, he put gardens into there so that the first thing you would have seen when you got to that palace was this abundant greenery in a desert. Herod was an utter genius. Anyway, Jesus would have grown up with the story of Herod moving a mountain. When he was walking from Bethany through to Jerusalem, there is no doubt that he looked at that mountain and he was trying to describe a spiritual reality that can overcome or transform a physical reality. Remember, he's just, in one story, he's cast out a demon. And what would have happened is that that boy's literal, his physical, his face, his countenance, his walk, his talk, it would have changed. There was a spiritual reality that transformed his physical reality. And then with the fig tree, the fig tree is looking kind of good the one day. And then the next thing, Jesus curses it and it's dead the following day. He's trying to show how a spiritual reality can overpower or transform a physical reality. And so he uses the story. He says, if you have faith, the size of a mustard seed, tiny faith, then you can do what Herod did 
with all his genius and all his forced labor and all his power and might, you, with very little, without that resource, you can say to this mountain, move, and you can do what Herod did. Now, here's why this is so huge. So many people I speak to right now are facing mountains that they have no idea how they're going to move. Mountains of, I don't know how I'm going to get a job. Mountains of, I think I'm losing my business. Mountains of health. Mountains of challenge. Mountains of being in lockdown with your family for this long. Mountains of family breaking apart. Mountains of what's going to happen in the nation, what's going to happen in the economy. We're facing mountains and you need a spiritual reality that can overpower the physical reality. And so I want to give you a principle. Because I think Jesus probably heard stories from Joseph. Joseph probably built, helped build this palace because um, where Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it was only about five kilometers away from this palace, Herodium, that Herod built. Joseph probably worked on it. And Joseph probably told stories to Jesus about this palace. And I think when Jesus was listening to the stories, Jesus was probably thinking about Genesis 1 because he, he would have studied the Word of God and, and the Word of God would have been so alive in him. And I think Jesus would have read Genesis 1 where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, what I love about this scripture is the way that God decides to introduce himself to humanity is the creator. It, the word, it, it means the designer, the life giver, the the one who comes up with solutions, the one who brings life and order. And then it goes on and it says, Now the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The word for created, it's bara, bara. And so it's bara, Elohim. It's the God who created. And the thing about that word is that no man will ever bara. Because to bahra means to create out of nothing. Men fashion. We take something and we remake it into a car, into a musical instrument, into a bed, into a house. We, we fashion raw materials that God has created into something. But God, he creates, he bahras from nothing. He makes something. He uses the spiritual to transform the natural. The verse carries on when it says, without form and void. That actually, what it means is a wasteland or an undistinguishable ruin. The, the thing about the situation the world's in is that there's an undistinguishable ruin around us. I was reading a, um, a financial uh, report that quoted a number of our CEOs and richest men in South Africa talking about how the economy was, was broken and uh, it would take years and years to recover. How the, the kind of, it, it was going to be knocked by 30% in the States, that, that everything was going to go south. An undistinguishable ruin. There, there's so much talk of undistinguishable ruin and we need a power that can break through it. And notice what God does to undistinguishable ruins. It says, and God said, 
let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And God said, and God said, let there be light. I love it. He uses four words and he takes undistinguishable ruin and he transforms it into order, life, and creativity. Four words. God said, let there be light. You know, in Romans 4.17, it says, God who gives life to the dead, and calls those things which did not exist into existence. That God, that God continues to bring life and order and creativity into undistinguishable ruin. He's been doing that for the world. He did it with Noah. He, he said to Noah, you build a boat, that's creativity. I'm going to cause a flood, that's force and power. And I'm going to bring order to this world. God, he's been doing this over the world. He's been doing it over nations. He gives Pharaoh a dream and he gives Joseph a gift so that a nation can be saved. He's been doing this to families. He comes to Abraham, whose wife's barren and she's way past the age of having kids. And God says, you will be pregnant and she falls pregnant. Creativity, life, order. He's been doing it to the defeated. An angel came to a guy, Gideon, who was cowering. And the angel says, rise up, mighty warrior. He's been doing it to the fearful. He says to Jehoshaphat, send the worshippers out ahead. This is creativity expressed. He's been doing it to widows. He says to the widow, fill as many jars as you can with oil and I will provide for you. He does it to a shepherd. He says, take a sling and take on the giant. These are creative ways of bringing life and order to the world. He is the God who can give a strategy to Joseph. He gave insights of hidden resources, a fish with a coin in its mouth to Peter. He is the God who can give wisdom to Solomon to lead a superpower, insight to rebuild a city to Nehemiah, a way to make phenomenal wine to Jesus. And here's the deal. He can give you creativity and order that will transform your world, but you need to plug into the supernatural power of God, the para, that creativity. God hasn't changed. He is still dealing with undistinguishable ruin. And he's using the same method that he used in the beginning to deal with it. See, the way that God dealt with it, he's, he's got a way. He's got a, a thing that he does, he's got a way. He's got a principle and he's got a practice. The way he does it is he speaks it into being. He, he says it and it happens. God's way is his kind of tool. You know, Amy has a way. She has a look that literally it just silences the whole family. Up until that look, we're messing around, we're making noise, food's going all over the show. Then she gives that look and it's just a way. It's a universal language. Wives have this way. They have this look that transforms situations. God has a way that he does things. His way is to speak. It's why in John 1, it's, it's so profound. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then in verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It says that through this word, all things were made and nothing was made without it. Everything that was created was created through this word. Here's, here's the principle. 
Here's what God's saying. I have a way that I do things. I do it through my word. My word is Jesus. Now, I want to use a, a very base analogy for, for how God works. I want you to imagine that God goes, I'm not going to speak. I'm going to use Jesus to do that. But I'm going to put thoughts into his mind. And then when he speaks, it will come into being. This is kind of what's going on here. So God chooses not to speak, but he uses his way. He uses his, his agent, Jesus, to do the work. And when Jesus speaks, something supernatural or spiritual gets into the natural and transforms it. This is, this is how God works. In 1 Corinthians 8, 6, it says, There is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Here's what it's saying. God is the source. Jesus is the agent. God is the power. Jesus is the voice. God is, God is the one who instructs. Jesus is the one who makes it happen. It's, it's this relationship that God uses to make spiritual things become physical realities. He uses his word. Now, here's why this principle is so, so important and why this, this message has to go on the front end of our But God series. When Jesus was speaking to the disciples, he said, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will be able to say, you'll be able to word you will be able to speak out the thought of God into a spiritual situation, into, into an undistinguishable ruin. And you will be able to speak creativity, life and order from heaven into that situation. You just need to speak my word. When Jesus goes to heaven, all of his messages about if you ask in my name, it will be given to you. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you will speak the word which is aligned to my will, if you will speak what the Heavenly Father has spoken, if you will get on board with what God wants to do, and you will follow through and you will speak out the vision he gives you and you'll speak out the scripture that he gives you, if you will declare it over your situation, you'll begin to bring a spiritual reality into a natural world. My, um, as I've watched people's responses to what's happening in the world, there's, there's kind of the ostrich mentality of just stick your head under, don't, don't worry about it, keep your head under the sand, just we'll come through this, it'll be fine. There's the realist perspective, the world's not the same. I'm not going back to the same job, I don't know if I have a job, I, I think that that the world is going to be so different that I'm going to have to learn completely new skills. There's that mindset. There's the fearful. I don't know if I'm going to survive this. And then there's the faithful. The God has declared over my life that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That God has given me a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That God declares over me 
that I am the son whom he loves, with whom he's well pleased, that I am the righteousness of God, that God has given me the power to generate wealth, that God has, will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. These, these are scriptures. These are declarations that we need to declare over our lives because Jesus made a way for us to be the agent. When he died on the cross, what he was doing is he was saying, you speak the word. You be the me on the earth. You cast out the demon. You declare healing over people. You change the economy in this situation. You change the culture. You speak life where there's death. You bring love where there's fear. You take the power that exists in heaven and speak it into being on earth. Here's what I want you to do. If you're not a Christian and uh, you've been listening to this and going, kind of going, Ross, I can kind of believe this. Um, it seems a little bit far from me, but I need Jesus in my life now. You'll know this because something in your spirit is jumping up and down. You'll, you'll feel like this. Some people will be sweating. Others will, will just sense this, man, I need to come home. You know, the thing about coming back to Jesus is, is it's a coming home. If that's where you're at, then uh, you want to pray this prayer and you want to say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross for me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you that your sacrifice makes it possible for me to access spiritual power to transform physical realities. Jesus, please come into my life. Wash away my sin. Make me feel at peace with God the Father. And fill me with your power by your Holy Spirit. I ask this in Jesus' name. Now, if you're a Christian, we're going to end this off in worship. But before we get there, I want you to practice declaration because it is so powerful. So, we're going to stick some scriptures up and I'm going to read them. And I encourage you to stand up and read along with me. And uh, because it's always awkward, I will read slowly and, and carefully and you can, you can follow along with me. But here's my encouragement. Do this today, but do it every day. It will be a blessing to you. So here we go. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when you say this, believe it in your heart. Because Christ has done a work to make this true. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. I prosper in all things. I remain in health just as my soul prospers. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. God has given me the power to generate wealth. God blesses me and surrounds me with favor as a shield. I speak God's word and it does not return to him void. His word accomplishes what he pleases and it prospers in the thing for which he sends it. I persist in speaking God's word until it accomplishes its purpose. It's like a fire. It's like a hammer that shatters a rock. 
If you're sick, I encourage you to declare, by his stripes I am healed. If you're struggling with mental disorders, I, I encourage you to say, he has not given me a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. These are scriptures I really encourage you to declare. And as you declare them, I believe it might be wheelbarrow by wheelbarrow. It might be all in one shot, but I believe mountains will move. So Justy's going to lead you back into worship, but it's been great being with you online. May God bless you and may you have but God stories coming one at a time into your life. God bless. Have a fantastic Sunday.